right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast, um, or the FearCast podcast, if you want to call it that. My name is Kevin Foss. I'm your host. I'm a licensed therapist specializing in anxiety and OCD. Um, and uh, if you're new to the FearCast, um, this is the podcast dedicated to uh, anxiety, uh, OCD, treatment of those things, and uh, how to get your life back. So thank you all to everybody who's a, a return listener. If you are a, a, a new listener, welcome. Uh, hopefully you can check out some of the old episodes. Hopefully uh, hopefully you heard about this episode from a friend or a group member or something like that. Again, uh, I, I think word of mouth is probably the best advertising uh, that this podcast could ever have. Uh, to you return listeners, um, if you like the show, um, why don't you head on over to iTunes or uh, another place where you happen to get your, uh, your podcasts. Uh, give us a review. Give us a like. Give us a, a thumbs up or, or whatever the case may be on your app or I don't know what it's going on with that. Reviews on iTunes and uh, and uh, and likes and stars and all that are, are ways that other people, new listeners, find the podcast and they can find uh, uh, this information that you have found. So again, any review and any feedback that I get is uh, uh, is, is fantastic, is greatly appreciated. Uh, and ultimately, uh, any feedback that I get on the show goes ultimately towards making the show better. So on this episode 18, I'm going to be talking about the identification that we can sometimes have with our anxiety. Uh, and, and specifically, this can, I suppose, be broadened out to mental health or mental illness in general. But um, since this is an anxiety podcast, and that's kind of the thing that I do, we're going to be talking about identification, personalized identification with our mental health, our mental illness ultimately saying that this this thing about me is me. This is what I'm about. This is who I am. Um, now, some of you are saying, hey, Kevin, this sounds crazy. This is the last thing that I want to do. Some folks out there do this. Now, um, we'll talk more about the details of this, but what I really want to talk about is, one, how to identify whether or not you are identifying with your mental illness how that's impacting you, and uh, if it is becoming a problem, what we can do about that. So the first thing I actually want to do before I even get into that is uh, I, I, I want to talk about a little bit of my anxiety, because as it turns out, anxiety therapists have anxiety, and we have what I call crazy man thoughts. These are, you don't have to call them that yourself, but I call my anxiety thoughts my crazy man thoughts, because when I notice I'm having them, I say, well, Kevin, you're thinking like a crazy man right now. Um, sure, it's uh, offensive, and that's fine, and but it's also empowering for some, so that that's what I'm what's the word I'm going to use for it. So my anxiety this week um, is coming in this is that, um, so I know I've talked about this uh, before is that um, I, I half-heartedly am a musician. Um, I, I, I've been playing bass since, I don't know, a long time. I've been playing bass for a long time. And uh, a, a group of folks at my church is doing or are doing a, um, a big band. So a big band jazz group. It's, you know, like 20 people, something like that. A lot of horn section. There's um, the singers. It's a whole thing. They called me two weeks ago because they saw me play in main service and play, you know, rock music or, you know, mo modern church music. And they said, hey, that guy looks like he plays jazz. I don't. And uh, they called me and they said, um, hey, we're doing a show in um, two and a half weeks. Uh, could you play for us? So um, I, we, I'm using this as a, as a challenge to myself to try to become a better player. But here's the thing. Everyone in that group are, are to the best of my knowledge, professional musicians or uh, they're music educators. So they all do this on a regular basis every single day. They read music. 
I've not read music, really, since high school, which was a long time ago when I was playing in, you know, jazz band and pit band. Um, uh, that's musical theater for you nerds out there, or for you non-nerds out there. Um, and uh, I, so I'm sitting in, and I have now two and a half weeks to learn 17 songs. So as of the recording of this episode, I have um, a week until the show, and I have another four four or five days until the the next and last rehearsal. So I'm nervous. Now, again, I've been playing bass for a long time, but that still doesn't stop my brain from telling me all sorts of thoughts that are making me feel really uncomfortable. Now, some of my fear, I think, is well-founded, and some of it is completely irrational. So some of the stories that my brain is telling me is, I'm going to completely fail. I'm going to embarrass myself in front of everybody. What I shouldn't do is have my friends and family come because they're just going to see me fail. Another fear, like an image that I get in my mind is the the, the, the drummer just doing his thing and then looking back at me with this just this scornful, just annoyed look, almost like rolling his eyes that, you know, they asked me, this this you know lowly therapist, to come and play. Um, it, it, it's going to be them saying, you know, we made a mistake uh, in asking you here, um, and, uh, and and all of that feels feels terrible. Um, I have fantasies of quitting, of emailing him and saying, "Hey, man, I just can't do it." Um, of saying, "Hey, these two songs are just impossible for me to play. Uh, I just can't do it." And all this is going through my mind. So. What am I doing about it? And well, n- number one, I'm recognizing that I'm having these thoughts and that just because I'm having the thoughts doesn't mean that I have to quit. And it also doesn't mean that all that's going to happen. I also I need to remind myself that ultimately within this, failure only comes in my quitting. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm going to hit all the right notes. I'll guarantee you right now, I'm, gonna, I'm not. I'm not going to hit all the right notes. And in fact, I'm going to hit some really bad notes from time to time. My walking bass lines are going to sound super weird. Um... But you know what? A lot of it's going to sound pretty good because I'm I'm not the worst player out there. So what are some other things that I'm doing? Well, I'm recognizing that they called me. They've heard me play before and they said, I'm good enough. So that's got to count for something too. I'm not a pro. So, and furthermore, I'm not a paid musician in this situation. So if I fail, who cares? What are they going to do? Dock my pay? There, there isn't a whole lot for me to lose in this situation. What if I have to gain? Well, I have to gain the experience of playing in this group. I have the exp- I have the opportunity to challenge myself to play music that I wouldn't normally be playing. I'm playing my upright bass in in a lot of this, and I don't really sit along and or sit on that and play it a whole bunch. So I'm using this as a great opportunity for me to challenge myself in learning that instrument better. I'm also recognizing that even if the drummer and the band leader all look at me with with this disdain and scorn. It, it, it doesn't really stop me from being who it is that I am. I'm. This is not my livelihood. This is not who it is that I'm about. This is a part of me, but it's not everything that I am. And also, if they say I'm a terrible bass player, who cares? Maybe I'm not the best player. I'm not the best bass player. I'm certainly not the worst. And if they say that, they're, they might be criticizing. If they want to be really, really mean about it, they could say that, but... It, it, it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It just means that um, perhaps I, I'm not the musician they thought I was, which is totally fine. That's their own perception and their own assumptions. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm addressing and challenging my crazy man thoughts. But what am I also doing? I'm also practicing. I'm also putting in the legwork to try to get better. 
So what have I been doing in the past couple weeks? Well, I've been practicing and practicing and practicing. I've been playing for about an hour to two hours uh, per day or per evening uh, after everyone goes to sleep. And on the weekends, I try to play maybe three hours a day. I got to learn 17 freaking songs. So it, it, it is really tough for me to do, but um, I'm going to use this as, as an opportunity. So notice that there are two sides to this. One is I've got to challenge the thoughts that I've got, accept the thoughts that are going on, accept what some of the complications and limitations are. They only gave me two and a half weeks to do this. And this is not something that I do on a regular basis. So there are those things. Now, are those excuses? Sure. Are those observations of fact? Also, yes. But I'm also doing the work on this. Something to remember, if we were to tie this back into exposures, is that you with your therapist can challenge the legitimacy of the thoughts that you're having and whether or not you should or shouldn't be afraid of that thought. But if you want to make progress in that, is that you have to face that fear and you have to push into it through the legwork. You have to push into it through the actions of it. And those are some important aspects to, to reflect on. So that's my anxiety uh, that's been occupying my brain in the past couple of weeks. So if this was completely boring to you, I apologize. We're now going to get on to the um, other part of the episode where um, I actually have planned. So let's get on to that. Okay, so a little bit about this episode. First off, this is not going to be applicable to everybody. And in fact, again, if you find this completely boring and not applicable to you, you don't have to keep listening. Remember about that. But I hope you hang out for it because some of this is not only just about um, whether or not we are letting anxiety or OCD or depression or anger or, or, or uh, substance abuse issues get identi- uh, take over who it is that we are. It's also about who we are, recognizing who it is that we would like to be and doing our best to try to work towards being that ideal person. So, First thing to start out with is what is identity? A, a good definition of identity or reasonable moving along definition of identity, it's the combination of characteristics, values, beliefs, and behaviors that present a continuity of character from past, present, to future. So it's kind of the person that we are over time. It's how we're known. So what is ultimately the problem here that, that I'm talking about? The problem is that uh, oftentimes we tend to complain and begrudge our mental illness. Um, we, we, we get really upset about it. Then we say how much uh, of a terror it is in our life and how much it takes away from our life. And oftentimes, all those things are true. But sometimes, sometimes we can make our mental illness or our, 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 our mental health struggles central to who it is that we are. We make it we make it our identity. We say it's the majority of my identity. It's the majority of who it is that I am. And we settle into this personality and character um, that, that we ultimately don't like, but we do it for some reasons that, that ultimately trap us and stop us from actually moving forward and actually moving past our mental illness or moving through it to get it to moving on with our life. Now, is one of the biggest reasons why I think this is a problem for some of us is because as we complain about our mental illness and we say it's a problem in our life, when we, when we identify with it and make it who it is that we are, it, it becomes this tremendous obstacle for treatment. Because we've said, this is who I am. I, I'm the anxious guy. I'm the angry guy. I'm, the, I'm an introvert. 
I'm an extrovert. I, I, I'm depressed. I'm, I have social anxiety. We say, this is kind of who, who I am. So any thoughts or any efforts we make to change that is ultimately changing who it is that I am. It's changing the central characteristic. And when we change those things or we threaten to change those things, it becomes super scary. And that can be, tr- that can be a huge obstacle in our way. Because why would I, I, in my core self, want to change? I want to change these things about me so that I can move on with my life, but I don't want to change me. Because we kind of hear that as I'm the problem here. Another component to this is then we're afraid about who it is that I'm going to be then. Because I know who I am now for the most part, but in the future, I don't know what that's going to look like. Furthermore, if we fight this, this mental illness, then we're going to have to change and we're going to have to put in a lot of effort. And that, of course, is obnoxious and we don't want to put in effort, do we? Now, as I mentioned at the very beginning, this does acknowledge the genuine pain that some people go through in their mental illness struggles, their mental health struggles. Um, and this episode isn't targeting people who are genuinely disabled or debilitated by their, uh, by their anxiety or their mental illness. Um, but it acknowledges that it's sometimes in the course of our life, our mental illness, they can take more of us and we want to take that back. All right, so what is identity and how is it built? Well, we talked a little bit about identity, but our identity and who it is that we are come from, from a lot of places. So just a couple of places that it comes from, uh, it can come from our, our family of origin. It can come through the religious systems that we have. Our identity and who it is that we are, we are can come from the culture at large. It can come from our individual social circles. It can come from our ethnicity and country of origin. So, do you identify as an American? Do you identify yourself as an Australian? The activities and interests of value, our activities of interest and our, our, our activities that bring us value can also, uh, can also influence the identity that we have. Our achievements can influence and help define our identity. The internalization of how we believe we're supposed to be, so the assumptions that we have. And some of these elements of our identity come through the assumed meaning in our religion, our culture, our ethnicity, and some come through specific aspects that we choose. So again, some are, we, we just take them on because we assume that's who we're supposed to be. And some we take on because we, we, have, we have chosen that specific aspect we would like, and we exclude others that we don't like. So within all these previous categories that I just mentioned, we're going to talk later on about how to redefine your identity or to help find that identity again, um, or even for the first time finding that identity. And we can consider some of those categories that I just mentioned is where you want to uh, where you want to draw some of these ideal characteristics that you want to strive for. So it's just something to think about. So you may want to start considering some of the some of the elements that that come from some of those categories, what you identify in them, what you like about them, and what where you currently see them in your life and where you want to go. But again, we're going to get into some of that later. All right. So now that we've talked a little bit about that, I want to go over how it is that we can identify whether or not your mental illness has become your identity. And remember, this can be a really love-hate relationship with some people. So identifying with your mental illness can actually be this, this double-edged sword. It can be, it can be very uh, positive for some people. It can be very debilitating for other people. So this isn't necessarily a right or wrong way to consider this. It's just a way to consider this. So the first consideration, how would others describe you? Would they say you're the anxious person? Would they say you're avoidant? Would they say you're angry? 
Will they say that you're depressed? Will they say that you're afraid of snakes? That you're the person who's afraid of spiders and heights and clowns and public speaking and doing new things and driving? Is that how you're known? Another, what seems to be your default emotion? Now, this is going to be over time and across situations. Are you the avoidant person? Are you the hesitant person? Are you the anxious person? Another thing to consider, have you ever exaggerated the reality or the severity of your symptoms? If you have, what this might come to show is that you feel uncomfortable without your symptoms, or you're trying to use it for another purpose. In other words, you're trying to get out of something, or you're trying to get special attention, and you're using your mental health as a scapegoat or as an excuse. Do you ever become offended when others suggest that you should address your mental health issues? In other words, uh, do you take it personally? Instead of hearing, your mental health is causing some problems in our relationship, your work, your schoolwork, you hear, you are bad, you're wrong, and you need to change before you're acceptable. Similar to this, when your mental health has actually caused a problem in your life, such as in your relationship, your work, uh, uh, your relationship with your kids, your family, things like that, do you assume that they all need to change? So notice with this, that this is, it, I'm talking about your mental health issues and the results of it. In other words, uh, for, for example, do you get angry at others when they won't accommodate for your anxiety at work? Do you say things like, people just need to get used to me? Or the, 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 the dreaded one that, that I hate ever so much is, I'm, I'm being real. And this is uh, as an excuse for being rude, being aggressive, or being demeaning to others. Now, by the way, this also doesn't mean that the other person doesn't need to change or doesn't need to learn to be flexible. But if the position that you aren't at fault is maintained, despite evidence that it's your mental health concerns that have worsened the situation or has actually caused the situation, this could be a sign. And lastly, do you find yourself making excuses to delay your treatment or even to avoid implementing any of the treatment tools that you're currently doing? Now, now, treatment resistance can come from a lot of different things, but sometimes the treatment resistance is coming from this idea that if I change my symptoms, if I if I address my OCD, if I address my avoidance, uh, if I if I then become the person that gives public speeches, or goes to parties, or says yes to difficult or uncomfortable situations, then I'm going to be someone else, and sometimes that can be really scary. Sometimes the identity that we take on is not because is not seemingly directly because of our mental illness, but it's actually secondary to it. Meaning, it's 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 the identity is hiding an element of our fear or hiding an element of our identity. An example of this might be someone who says, "Well, I'm lazy." Or they might say, "I'm a slacker." That is um, a, a way that I don't think anybody describes himself anymore. But um, that may be one way that that person is known. They're a slacker. They don't put effort in. Now, there are some folks who who take this on, and and uh, they they may just do it because they just don't want to put in a lot of work. And sometimes people become this slacker. They become the person who's lazy because ultimately they're scared that if they put this effort in for whatever it is that that they're talking about, that they might fail. Or that it might not turn out the way that they want it to. And then it might challenge this, per this, this idea about who they are. It might verify that they are, in fact, bad at whatever it is that they're, that they're doing. Or that they're not as good. Because sometimes if we don't do something, it still verifies that we could still potentially do it. But if we try it and we're not good at it, that's confirmation that we're bad at it. Or something to that effect. And all of that seems really scary. So we can find ourselves avoiding it. Because no one wants confirmation of our worst fears being true. 
That's what avoidance is about. That's what compulsions are about. But if we also never challenge that, we never find out if that fear is false. Another example might be someone who simply avoids asking somebody out. They say, I'm the single guy, or I'm the single girl. Um, I'm a loner, even. Now, those two things can be slightly different. One person may be afraid of rejection, so their identification as the single person or the loner is, uh, uh, is hiding a fear of rejection. Sometimes the loner is hiding uh, social anxiety. That if they put the effort out to try to get to know people, that might blow up in their face, and they might go awful, and they might get ridiculed. Because the chances are, if you try to put yourself out there, some people aren't going to like you. And that's fine. That's also to be expected. And we've talked a little bit about that in the past. But we never gain from anything unless we try, unless we challenge it. Similar to that last one is the person who's lazy at work. Again, they don't want to try to put themselves out there. They don't want to try to achieve or strive for something at work because they're afraid that maybe they're going to fail. Maybe they're going to get fired if they stick their neck out. Or they're going to get some attention that perhaps they don't want. Or they're going to be, they're going to be asked to do something that is going to be uh, putting them in a situation that's over their head in what they believe. And they're afraid that, man, that could just go bad. So there are a lot of ways that we can feel terrified that, uh, that, that cause us to take on this other secondary identity. All right, so now what do we do about all this? How do we then develop our preferred identity? If you're someone who has found yourself identifying a little bit with your mental illness and saying, this is my mental illness and my mental health is kind of who, who I am. That's what I'm about. And you're not liking this idea. Well, there's some things you can do about it. Number one, the easiest way, the biggest thing, I could probably end it right here with just this one. It's number one, identify who it is that you'd like to be. How do you want others to describe you? What values and character do you admire the most? You can identify the goals, as we talked about before. Identify ideals from your culture at large, from your religion, from your ethnicity, all those things that you really like and admire, and you want that to be a part of you. Write those things down. Start building this list. Also consider what positive things have others said about you in the past. That can be part of your identity. What's great about this last piece is that other people have already said, this is something you're good at. This is something you do. Great. Let's do more of it if that's something that you really like. So some other ways that we can develop our new or preferred identity is through trial and error. In other words, of trying new characteristics, personas, and activities. So we can try new things. Some of these things are going to feel incredibly natural. Others are going to feel awful and awkward, and you're going to feel like a big on roller skates. And oftentimes, others are going to tell us what we're good at and not good at, which is totally helpful and very uncomfortable. But we can also start to develop our new personality or our preferred identity by really taking a long look at ourselves to identify which characteristics need to change or are no longer working for you. Now, this is uh, mental health related, and this is also separate from it. So specifically for this, how have you let your identity become that of your mental health? So how have you started to let yourself be that person that says, I'm afraid of heights. I don't do tests. I'm OCD. I'm socially anxious. I'm a hypochondriac. Uh, I'm depressed. What are some things that you do? What are some things that you don't do? What are some things you've been putting off because of those things? 
Another aspect of building our preferred identity is accepting that depression, anxiety, mental illness struggles are going to be part of our identity as both a biological and a developed characteristic. So as it turns out, you and I are anxious, depressed, angry, whatever the case may be, whatever the mental illness that we're having, but it's part of who it is that we are. Accepting that that is part of us can free us up to accepting and acknowledging that we are all these other things too. Lastly, some ways that we develop this new identity, this growing and, and more, more uh, uh, um, this kind of fuller tapestry of this identity uh, is being flexible with the identity that we have as it will change over time. You and I are going to change. The person that you were 10 years ago, there'll be a lot of similarities between you, but there are going to be some differences, maybe some ideological differences, maybe political differences, maybe some interest differences, maybe some attitude changes. So we do change subtly over time. So we can be a little flexible in these things. Because again, I'm someone who believes in change. If I didn't believe in change, why on earth would I ever be a therapist? And if you didn't believe in change, why on earth would you listen to this podcast? We all implicitly believe in flexibility. We just need to recognize that for ourselves, that we can be a little flexible. So as I mentioned in the uh, in my initial example of uh, of my own anxiety... We're now going to talk about taking action. What do we do? How do we get these into our life? Let's talk about some practical things. One, if, if you put down this list of characteristics that you like and ideals that you would like to have in ways that you would want other people to know you as, in some uh, uh, aspects of your culture, your religion, your ethnicity that you would like to be, I want you to practice those. Practice being your ideal new version of you. And we can be intentional about those about those actions. You should be intentional about them. So, for example, if you wanted to be brave, enact bravery. Do something brave. Do something hard. Now, this can be pretty much anything. But think about. But one way to enact bravery is going to be doing your exposures. It's doing something that is difficult. And it's not about all of a sudden having the emotion of bravery, but bravery is the action that we do in the face of anxiety. So if you want to be a brave person and some, you want other people to say, man, you're, you are brave, then act like it and pretend like it. It's not going to feel right initially, but go for it. For example, furthermore with bravery, go drive, go find heights to be on, go be kind Go be generous. Go be loyal. Be disciplined. Be patient. Be outgoing. And remember, none of this means perfection, but you can go and practice them. The old term, fake it till you make it, absolutely applies here. Because again, we're going to get better at this over time. As we're taking action, we also want to recognize when we're letting our mental illness take control again. Because it's going to. You've practiced this characteristic in this, uh, uh, in this identification for a very long time. So give yourself a little bit of patience. And when you do, catch yourself and gently remind yourself and bring yourself back to the characteristic that you're attempting now. Part of gently reminding yourself and bringing yourself back to this new characteristic is not in avoiding lashing out at yourself for not being all of a sudden perfect. And also taking responsibility for our own battle and our own struggles. We're going to be in process. And it's going to take some time. But you'll eventually get there and you'll eventually make progress. Like my example about music, 
I don't think that I'm going to become a fantastic, most perfect musician on earth through this process, but I'm going to be better at the end of this than I was when I first started. And that is really important to me. When you get sidetracked in, uh, in this process, remember that um, you're not getting sidetracked because you're a failure or broken or defective, but you're a person that's running his or her own race at your own pace, just like the rest of us. There's no difference. And to this point, I want you to actively remind yourself of who you are, who you would like to be, and know that we aren't all the things all of the time. Again, we are these, uh, as I mentioned before, we're a lot of different things. We're not just this one centralized thing. When we take on this characteristic onto ourselves, we say, this is who I am, but rather we can identify that we are multiple things. So for example, um, yes, I have anxiety, but I'm not anxiety. I have depression, but I am not depression. Those are part of me. But I'm also a father. I'm also a husband. I'm also a therapist. I'm also a musician. I'm also a dog parent. I'm also honest. I'm ethical. And I'm easygoing. Now, there are a lot of other aspects to me. There are a lot of other things that I could identify as. But those are part of my identity that I enact and I illustrate and I sit in and I express and I withhold from time to time, depending on the situation. So second to last, seek feedback from other people. This is going to be really important in, in trying to address our identity. Asking others, specifically your friends, your family, even your therapist, people that you trust, Asking them, do you see the changes in your life? How do they see those changes? How much are they seeing those changes? And what aspects are they seeing those changes? We may not want to ask some of our buddies who are just going to give us crap all the time and, and, and try to deceive us. Um, we have those friends out there who are going to be those people. But we want to ask people that we trust, hey, do you actually see, uh, this is something that I'm trying to work on. Do you see me, do you see me doing that? And they might say yes, they might say no, and they might say, you know, yes, I am here, but over here you're struggling a little bit. It's not the end of the world if they say you're not perfect, but it's going to give you some guidance in, in, in where you want to go. And it's also going to give you some positive feedback in, in terms of if you are making that progress, it feels really good to hear other people say, yeah, you're doing great. I love seeing this about you. I love to see you being your ideal self. I love to see you growing and maturing. That feels great. Oftentimes, in my experience as a therapist, when I see people challenging their anxiety and their OCD, one thing that I notice about them is that they feel, they, emotionally, I feel freer around them because they feel freer as a person. This weight has lifted off of them, and they're more likely to then be themselves as opposed to this person they were before, which is the anxious person, who also may do a lot of other stuff, but they're the anxious person or the avoidant person. And it's exciting to see. So ask people for feedback. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, again, be gracious with yourself. You may not be able to implement all the changes that you want at once, but you may be able to do it over time. And you may be able to do it slowly. And you may slip back into some old habits and patterns, but we all do. We all do in the, in, in the process of change, but we can slowly bring ourselves back to being this person that we would like to be. And it, it, it's a lifetime, perhaps, process of change and improvement towards this ideal version of us. So be gracious and recognize that we're going to fail and slip and fall and mess up and do the complete opposite of what we want to do and identify as. But again, it doesn't make you a failure. It just makes you like a person like everybody else.
So I hope this episode actually made one made sense, and two, um, actually uh, helped you to see a little bit about whether or not you are identifying with your anxiety and whether or not you would want to see some changes in your life towards something else. Meaning if you want to build up this other part of who you are in the face of your anxiety or in the face of your depression, in the face of these other things that you've been dealing with, Hopefully this episode has helped you to, to think about some things that you can do and also to uh, boost the idea that, that you can do it. Hopefully it reinforced this idea that you're not stuck. There is hope out there. But either way, thank you so much for listening. All right, everybody. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the FearCast. If you liked this episode, uh, shoot me an email and let me know. Again, if you, as I mentioned at the very beginning, if you liked the show, if you like the show, head on over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and uh, uh, write a review about it. If you have a question for a future episode, as uh, if you heard in uh, one of my previous episodes, I, I, I do want to answer your very specific questions about OCD and anxiety and in treatment, about CBT and experience and response prevention or acceptance and commitment therapy. I want to be the person that can answer these questions for you. If you have these questions, you can go over to the website, fearcastpodcast.com. Go to the ask a question or submit a question link. You can ask a question there. You can also ask a question through my Instagram. It's fearcastpodcast. Uh, it's not very creative, but it's what it is. You can ask a question there, and uh, again, it can be completely anonymous. Um, You can choose whichever name you would like, and uh, I will read it on a future episode. Please remember the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. Again, go over to the website if you're looking for more help, and uh, hopefully you can find some help there. If you also have some specific questions about about your identity, about your identity as uh, your mental illness, and maybe if you completely disagree with everything that I've said today and said, I love identifying as a depressed person. I love identifying as, as an anxious person. I absolutely want to hear about it. In fact, I'd love to chat with you about that uh, if you're open to chatting about it on a future episode. So um, shoot me an email uh, through the website uh, or through Instagram and, uh, and, and let me know if you just want to message me and just say, hey, uh, I completely disagree with you and here's why, let me know. I'd love to do a follow-up on this. If you agree with me, let me know. I'd love to read it on a future episode. Until next time, and as always, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.